In fact, I've noticed that in the Christian church, and if you take a look at the calendar, they focus on some key stories, some key events, like Christmas. That's a pretty big event, right? Did you know nowhere in Scripture does it say to remember Christmas? Not at all. Uh, in fact, if you want to go on some rabbit trails, there's some interesting history how we arrived at our day that we choose Christmas and blah, blah, blah. And some fanatics who go crazy and think it's all evil. It's like, chill, people. You know, like, we're here to celebrate an event that's exciting. The other big one is what? Easter. We celebrate Easter. Ooh, we, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and wow, it's exciting. And we focus on those stories. Or communion's another regular repetition, which is part of the Easter story. So we're remembering what happened, being reminded of what Christ did on the cross. And so those are the key stories. So usually we focus on the miracles, you know, especially the walking on the water part, which is really cool. Um, turning water to wine even better. Um, just kidding. Um, but basically it's those stories that we look at. <coughs> Rarely, or do we jump into some of the teaching from the Apostle Paul in his writings to the church. But we never really look at what happened after the cross. Oh, gee. Oh, that's you. Okay. I thought it was uh, one of those Amber Alerts. <laughs> I said, ours are all going to go off in a second. But he's got a fire department pager, so he's a volunteer firefighter. So I welcome that noise. Go, run. Um, um, in fact, what's kind of funny, since he's gone, um, there was an accident, unfortunately, with uh, his kids were on a school bus that tipped over. And uh, he was at on his farm, working away. This is all being recorded, sorry. Um, he's working away, and ah, the guys will get that, no problem. I won't go to this one, because there's plenty of people available. Well, the kids were so upset. Why was my dad here? Dad, where were you? <laughs> They're waiting for dad for the hug. Anyway, kind of cool. Anyway, that was a rabbit trail, which I do a lot. So, today, I want to take us to the next step. I want to look further. I want to take a look at the Great Awakening because we saw some stuff going on in the gospel, some, some patterns of behavior in the disciples' lives. Something really switched, and we come to the book of Acts. How did we become a church? How did the early church begin? Is there something we can learn today uh, uh, from the story uh, that's presented to us in the book of Acts, written by a man who gave us a lens, a history as best as he could give us, with some great, great detail that we can definitely learn from. So today, we're going to begin with the Great Awakening, because I believe the disciples had a tremendous awakening after the cross, after the resurrection. They woke up in a profound way. All right? They didn't just follow this leader who they thought would conquer Rome. Yeah, we're going to take out the empire, right? Well, the empire strikes back, sure happened in 70 AD, and it was nasty. You know, the Jewish system was obliterated. But in that time, what happened? Did the church die? No. The religious system died in 70 AD. The old covenant came to an end. It came to an end at the cross, but then it was fading and it faded away until 70 AD when it was knocked right out. A very profound history. So what happened? What motivated them? And I want to take a look through the book of Acts. So, so far, what brought us to the book of Acts? Before we start the book of Acts, let's catch the end of it. It's, it's like a sequel. If you've watched a series, how many of you watched Downton Abbey? All three of you. No, I'm kidding. A whole bunch of you. I like it too. So, 
a movie just came out, you know, and uh, uh, there was a trailer, a 10-minute trailer uh, that was put up. That, that, that's a long trailer. And it, what it did, it recapped the previous season so that if you're going to watch the movie, da-da, there, now, you, now you're caught up. That's what this is. I'm going to catch you up from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. we got four seasons here that we're going to catch up and, and capture the end so you know where we left off. And I want to highlight some really important things uh, that you and I can be encouraged by today. We need hope today. This week, I, I had connections with people that were in despair. Uh, I'm talking the lowest possible place you can be. Um, even contemplating suicide, literally telling me that. Uh, another person who wanted to die early, and then she died two days later, just because the pain she was in, that's Luann's mom, you know, and having to walk through all that. And by the way, that funeral is going to be great. It's uh, next week, and she, she planned it all. She was a bit of a control freak. <laughs> she really did. It's, it's amazing. But to see her journey of spirituality come through was profound. Call after call, I'm thinking, uh, even last night, uh, my buddy John Crotty, he'll be watching this later, unless he's watching live. Hi, John. Um, uh, I, he said, hey, I'm praying for you. He does that Saturday nights, which is really nice. He's in Texas. Um, and he, uh, I said, you know, I'm having a hard time. Um, I can't focus. Uh, too many distractions. I'm really trying to figure this thing out. Last night was tough, you know, of everything that was going on. He said, just praying for you. And boom, suddenly, whoosh, this came together, and we'll see what happens today. Um, but that's the kind of week it's been, and I've noticed that there's a big need for hope in our community, um, hope in life circumstances, hope in a crisis of people losing jobs, relationships being cut off, um, people splitting up, kids saying goodbye to mom and dad, don't like you anymore, don't want nothing to do with you, and hurting families. They need hope. They need light. They need inspiration. And so looking at these stories can speak some hope and light into them. There is hope. In fact, you're going to like this. In January, I'm signing a contract this week. January, uh, middle of January, we're going to have William Paul Young come in here. He's the author of The Shack. And we're going to do a conference called Healing Life's Hurts. Um, uh, is there hope in the pain? And we're going to deal with tough questions. We're going to have an interview style thing here. Uh, and we're going to ask Paul to share from his heart, hey, God, what do I do in this circumstance? I lost my loved one. Or uh, I can't talk to my kid. Or spouses are not able to talk. How, how do we handle that kind of loss? All the hell he's been through, man, he's got, and now walking through healing, he has a lot to offer. And we're going to open up to the whole community, anyone and everyone. Um, it's not going to be so much of a religious event, because that's otherwise I put that in the title, but this is for the community, those who are dealing with loss of any and all kinds, because we need hope. So be ready for that. That's coming. Um, and we're going to live stream it. If you're watching online, we're going to live stream it and make that available uh, for people, um, and we'll show you how to do that. So what's happened in this story? If we're going to recap and do a trailer from what's happened previously, in the previous episode, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? That's a pretty big deal. All right? First he died. And as the story goes, and as we have discovered through the writings of Paul and the prophecies about Christ, Christ died, he, uh, we all died with him, he rose, we rose with him. Really important. You can't forget that detail or gloss over it too quickly. 
Um, but that was a big part. Next, he appeared to Mary. <clears throat> so not only did he rise from the dead, he proved it. And he didn't go running to the Pharisees and say, hey guys, see religious leaders? <laughs> you know, he didn't do an in-your-face, which some of us would like to do. We like to rub it in someone's face. Ha! I was right. Right? We're wired for that. Do you know why? Or maybe not why, but do you realize what we have to unlearn? We need to let go of the addiction to try and be right. We're addicted in the Western world to be right. It's not about being right. It's about being loved. And then that love in us from Christ loves others, whether we think they're right or not. I saw a meme this week, so forgive, even if they're not sorry. Well, I don't want to forgive them then. I want to make them sorry. I want to make them feel pain because I'm in pain. Listen, there are so many categories that need hope. And Jesus didn't go running to the Pharisees to rub it in their face. He went to Mary. And what's even crazier, in the context of culture, he went to a woman. All right? Like, I cannot believe the ridiculousness of the religious church, churchianity, that says women cannot speak, and they say uh, Scripture's clear, and I'm thinking, dude, it's clear to you only. Uh, what I'm seeing, I'm seeing grace to all. I'm seeing holy smokes that's neither gender, nothing. This is, this is about the love of Christ coming through us. Don't put those rules on people. And he came, and he modeled it by going to the women first, because they were the most pressed down and subdued, and abused, and had no voice. He was their voice. We need both. Some women take the extreme and say, well, okay, we need, now we need to dominate the men. The men try to dominate the women. Domination? Uh-uh. That's not the gospel. The gospel is serve one another. I tell couples all the time, marriage isn't a competition. And if it is, there's only one competition you should have in your marriage. Who can outserve the other? That's it. It's not about domination and rights and roles and blah, blah, blah. It's about love, agape. If you love your spouse as Christ loved the church, oh my goodness, now we've got to discover how much Christ loved the church. And as we have been learning here, it's like, oh my goodness, it's big. It makes me want to love them back. Oh, that's how marriage works. Yep. So he appeared to Mary. That's a big deal. Next. Jesus allowed doubt. In churchianity, we don't allow doubt. We call it lack of faith. Oh, really? Guess what lack of faith is? Lack of faith comes from self-mustered faith, not the yellow stuff. Mustered up, as in you create your own faith. That is the faith that is a lack of faith. Because any true faith we have comes from, ta-da, Christ. No one here has faith of their own. Every bit of faith has been given to you by Christ to help you believe. And there's freedom and room to doubt. Even Thomas said, uh, until, I, until I put my hand in his side, until I put my fingers in those holes, uh, I'm not believing. Well, I saw a cartoon this week, and the Friday morning group saw it. It's a picture of P. 
Peter, Tom was saying all this stuff, and then suddenly Jesus shows up, comes from behind, goes peekaboo, and you see eyes popping through the hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't show it because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but it's so funny. Like, how, how funny is Jesus? I think Jesus is the author of humor. <laughs> in fact, there's so many stories in Scripture that show us how humorous uh, Christ was. But this story of doubt, how many people do you and I know? Or even us, we have doubts. I don't understand this section. By the way, not understanding something does not equal doubt. Okay? Not understanding something. Call it for what it is. I don't understand all of Scripture and all of theology, okay? There are parts I think I understand. Versus 10 years ago, I would have said, I understand. And when I came out of Bible college, I knew it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The more, I, the more I grow, the less I really know. And the more I'm realizing, ha, huh, I need to receive the good news with an open hand so God can put in and take out whatever needs to be moved because he's in charge of my growth, not me, not some pastor, mentor, not you. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us grow. And Thomas doubted, and Jesus was compassionate, and he does that, woohoo, shows up, boom, holy smokes, and, or ghost, I don't know what he would have said, but anyway, he would have, he would have been pretty freaked out by Jesus showing up suddenly, and in Christ's gentleness, this is how we confront doubt, this is how we confront people that don't quite believe, we don't shove stuff in their face and say, well, the scriptures say... Right? Have we done that to people? We have Bible wars with other believers trying to outprove who's more right than the other one. That's useless. Don't do it. Do what Jesus did to a person who doubted and had, had concerns, had questions. He showed up and loved and offered an answer instead of bopping over the head and saying, how can you doubt everything I said? He didn't do that. Jesus' love is restorative. <clears throat> Next we have, oh, I turned it off, oops. Next we have Peter. Look, if somebody's going to really mess up, it was Peter. Peter really, really messed up. He said, I will not deny you. In fact, he took a slice at one of the guys in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, this guy had feist. While well, the other guys took off, he stayed there, took a I don't think he was going for the ear. I think he was going for the jugular, whatever he could. And what does Jesus do? Doesn't scold Peter. It's not recorded there, okay? It's not recorded. But he picks up the ear, heals the man. That act of compassion and love to the man that was hurt spoke to Peter as well. It spoke to everybody. It probably really messed up the guards. Like, what? We're used to retaliation. What's going on here? If you've doubted or denied Christ, Jesus came later when he saw him and they ended up sitting on the beach having fish, filet fish. They were enjoying. And Jesus reinstated him by saying, do you love me, Peter? Of course I do. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, of course I do. Do you love me, Peter? Why? You've asked me three times. Of course I do. Three times. Oh, no way. Restored. That's how Christ comes along. 
Be careful confronting people. Quit trying to play the Holy Spirit because you ain't it. Neither am I. When we're invited into a conversation of mutual trust and questions come up, great, have your conversations. But don't be the grace Gestapo or the rules police. Mm -mm. Yes, there are grace Gestapos. People who understand some measure of grace and even some theology of grace, but they're also about correcting everybody's terminology. That's done. Don't do that either. I've done it. I'm embarrassed. And when I bump into people I haven't seen for a while that I did that to, I apologize. And there's still people I need to apologize to because I set myself up to be a judgmental person. I didn't know it. I was being right. (laughs) Wrong so badly. But Peter was reinstated. You're reinstated. The road to Amos. Okay, it's a cool story. But there's something that you may not realize um, in this story that would encourage you to realize that Christ is for all, all people. This is the short story. I think it's in the book of Luke. Um, uh, these two dudes are walking to their wherever they're going, and Jesus kind of shows up, disguises himself. He kind of veiled their eyes. Does it, you know, in Star Wars, they doesn't recognize him. They're done. Don't recognize me. And so they're talking away, and, and he's asking questions, and these two guys are going, Jesus, are you kidding? I didn't say Jesus, but I said, dude, you don't know what just happened? Where have you been, man? It was in the New York Times. It was like Jerusalem Post. There it is. And you didn't catch all this? Are you, like, what happened to you? Did you just arrive in town? And they're telling him all this stuff, and then... Somehow the conversation changes. And whatever happened, these two people, one of them's name was Cleopas. How many know who Cleopas is? Exactly. What? Who? Oh, shush. (laughs) It's being recorded, so I have to watch my response. (laughs) Smart donkey. The point is, nobody knows who Cleopas is except the guy on the road to Amos. Why would Jesus waste time with nobody when he had somebodies, the disciples, leaders, people? Why would he show up and talk with two nobodies? doesn't make sense. And then what he does, after they're ridiculing him for not knowing what's going on, he ends up revealing the Old Testament. Each prophet, he's telling these two guests, or two people he's walking with, um, about himself. He's pointing the connecting the dots to the crucifixion and resurrection from, from the Old Testament. Uh, these guys, man, they, they did say later, Weren't our hearts burning in us? Something was going on. They knew it was true. Why? Because truth already lived in them. Truth recognizes truth. Light light sees light. Light is attracted to light. They knew it because then they were supposed to go one way and Jesus did the, watch this, I'll pretend to go this way. Hello? Hey, guys, I'm about to go this way. Oh, hey, do you want to come for supper? Oh, okay. Okay. And then he goes for supper. So then Jesus prays at this dinner. This is the guest praying, and suddenly, oh no, the other way. Now he's unveiled, and they go, it's Jesus, and boom, he's gone. 
two nobodies. So you feel like a nobody? Well, it's speedy. You're a somebody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Stop. That was terrible, I know. But you really are somebody. You're not a nobody. There are no nobodies. They don't exist. You and I place value on people. We call out nobodies and somebodies and really important and all that stuff. We're the ones who compartmentalize people. We're the ones who are exclusive and inclusive to whoever we choose. Jesus includes all. No one is excluded from Christ. Not one person. And don't you dare start to think of behavior patterns of certain people. Go, well, that can't be. That behavior is not included. The person is Every one is included. Every one is loved. Every single human has the light of Christ shining through them, whether they know it or not. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, so, hey, if the light that is in you, if that light is darkness to you, oh my goodness, how great is that darkness? That's pretty blind. But the light's still there. This road to Amos? Yeah. I caught that this week. I was like, no way. Because I looked, I tried to figure out who are the ones he was walking with. For sure it was two disciples. It wasn't two people we would call nobody. And yet, they mattered. Chapter 1. The Awakening. The Great Awakening. As we go through this series, please look for the revelations as individuals continue to grow in grace. Let me sneak peek to Peter for a moment. We've talked about him already. He has a moment where well, we hear about Paul uh, calling out Peter on his legalism. He was sort of you know, gracious, but he still kind of covered both sides, he had to be, still be friends with the Jewish people, kind of kept some of their laws, wouldn't eat with the Gentile. He, he, just, he got mixed up. Good heart. Mixed up. Do you know anybody like that? Or do you just see the mixed up and not the good heart? <laughs> I'll let you answer that. So we see Peter's progression. We see Paul having a major progression from trying to take out and kill every Christian. That was his, oh man, passion. And his transition and the stages of growth he went through. And there are others in the story. Look for those revelations as they continue to go. Not one of them had arrived. We would think that those who walk with Jesus would know it all. We would think that those who walk with Jesus would have the complete revelation because they walked with Jesus, right? We'd think, oh man, they gotta know. Well, they only knew in part. And they still continue to grow and learn. Be careful when you're with somebody or a teacher who thinks they really do know it all, have all the answers and all the workbooks to prove all the categories. Because what ends up happening, you rely on the workbooks, not on the one who does the work in us. Do you understand the difference? That's why even with the Bible, careful. Don't get distracted from the true capital W Word of God. The Bible's a written documentation inspired by God. But the real Word of God is Jesus Himself, who has been from the beginning. 
I respect the Bible. I trust it. I think it's amazing. But don't you dare put it as equal with Jesus. Nowhere does Scripture say that. Nowhere does the Bible even support that. As we're going through this, recognize how the disciples went from running in fear to staring death in the face. When they were in the Garden of Eden and the guards came, they scattered. In fact, there was another time before that, Jesus gave some harsh, strong words. He said, you can't be my disciple if blah, 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 blah. And a whole bunch of people left Jesus. People who had been following him said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I can't go that road. And they left. Then he comes to the garden. He's got his most trusted people. A bunch of them took off. I think two or three may have gone with him a little bit. That's where the whole slice and dice thing happened. And then uh, he took off too. But then Peter still hovered around trying to, you know, and that's when the cock crowed. And he went, oh, shoot, I really messed up. When they're staring death in the face later, something happened from the cross to when they saw Jesus. They had an awakening that was so profound that they did not fear death anymore. Something happened, and we're going to discover some of that. You're going to discover it through your lens. I'm only going to share the story and parts and highlight things, but it is you who's going to see a connection of how it has impacted your life. Whoa, I saw that, I forgot about that, or wow, I never saw that. This is amazing. We're here to grow and learn. None of us have arrived. We're going to look at what happened to the early church and how it developed. It doesn't look like this at all. I bet you if Jesus showed up in the Western world, he'd go, this is not the way I designed the church. Okay, it's how we are right now, and it's okay. But as long as we don't say, this is what God defined the church to be. We gather on Sunday mornings in a building, and we have to have a worship team and all this stuff, right? That's not it. There's room for that. We can see all these parts in Scripture. That's okay. But be careful to not say, this is what it is. It's bigger than that. I do church on Friday mornings here. Grounds and grace. That's church done really differently and very exciting. I do church... At a hockey game. You know, I do church on Thursday nights at baseball. I don't go to church with any of those guys, but there are believers there, and we encourage each other, and I am trying to be light to wherever I am. I do church. Church is in a coffee shop at McDonald's having coffee with somebody. Church is people, not the building. Don't mix those up. And we're going to see that in the Scriptures. And in fact, I'm going to also give you a heads up that sometimes churches will say, well, we need to go back to the old way. What did the original church do? And they go through the book of Acts. Oh, we need to meet in small homes now. And they say, now they create a new rule, another add-on, an app to how we're supposed to do things. Listen, the book of Acts is a story of the progression of how they grew and became based on their context It's not the answer to what we should copy. It does not say to copy that. There are many different avenues of how to be a church. and Don't mock them. Some are really large churches. Some are really small. Some are house churches. Some are online churches. You know, we say, well, how can they do that? Well, stop the how could they do that question. Right there is your problem. Instead, go, wow, people are celebrating Jesus in unique ways all over the place. Yeah, I'm part of that family. I'm part of the body of Christ. In Pakistan right now, 
Well, we know Robinson, he's been here. You know, he's sharing the gospel in all kinds of places. He's sharing with other church leaders in different places. This guy's risking his life, his whole family is. Church, their way. And we have really liturgical churches that look at something that has been going on for 2,000 years. Some of the patterns and, and uh, practices haven't changed one bit. And we're quick to mock that. Whoa, we got to get a little more modern. Really? Don't mock them. If you need it, then you do that. But don't project that on them, for that might be their way of staying solically focused on Christ. Okay? Careful. You live in a glass house? <laughs> you going to throw stones at somebody else? Don't. It all boils down to judgment again. How we like to judge people. Be right. Be more right than the other group. 44,000 different denominations can't all be wrong, can they? There's a reason we have so many churches and denominations. Some say, we have the word. No, no, we preach the gospel. Well, we preach the real gospel. Well, we preach the better gospel than that one. You know, like, it's so dumb when you exclude people and make yourself propped up. Be warm, welcoming, and loving. Be Christ to all you meet. We're going to look at how the good news spread around the world. Because something happened through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a summary of what happened and how the church had its influence and how it really did reach the whole world. Yep, it did. Take a look at this. This is where Jerusalem is. This is where it started. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. So by A.D. 35, as far as Judea and, and Samaria, that's where the gospel had gone. By 40, it had gone much farther, Antioch, Cyprus. By, and then Paul's first missionary journey, because he did like four journeys, four trips. You know, they were not cruise ships, I'm certain of it. Um, but by A.D. Uh, 48, he was this far. He had gone to Ephesus, Colossae, and so on. And then by A.D. 52, Paul's second and third missionary journeys. He's up in Corinth, Athens, Philippi, Thessalonica, and then he ends up being in Rome by 60 A.D. The gospel spread, and it was not just Paul. Paul was the, the minister to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Peter was destined to convinced the Jews, but he got sucked up in his own legalism. He had a mixed gospel. He taught grace, but mixed in some law and rules, which there's no room. It's like eating a pie with one little extra ingredient, just a dash of horse manure. Would you want it? One dash. It's only a dash. Just a little bit. It's not bad, right? It's organic. Kidding. You wouldn't want to eat the pie if you knew there was a dash of poop in there. That's what the law and grace does. When you mix law and grace, when you mix the covenants, when you mix the system of rules to make you right with God, with you are already right with God. Enjoy the feast. Don't mix it. Don't add ingredients. It's done. And it ends up reaching the world. There was one man who was greatly influenced, and Paul baptized him. Or was it Peter? I forget now. I'm having a moment. The Ethiopian. Who was it? Was it Peter? It was Philip. 
Philip, see, another guy who's not that popular, baptizes an Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian, what, what nation is he from? Africa, right? Yes? Okay. Guess where the Orthodox Church began? You betcha. The Orthodox Church from a baptism. Some guy named Philip. Because God was in charge of that connection. God had a plan that was bigger than Philip. Bigger than the Ethiopian. And all we hear is the story of a cool baptism and boom, the guy disappears. Right? That's a wow story. You know the wow story is look at the fruit of what's happened. For 2,000 years, they've not changed much. <laughs> we're so westernized, we think we're the gift to the east and everywhere else. We think we've got it for the rest of the world. Oh, they look to us as sophisticated and forward, and we've got the truth they need. They don't have as much education. They don't have as much influence. We've got it all. No, 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 no. We need to learn from the east, from the Koreans, the Chinese, the Indians. Pakistanis, Malaysians. They have a truth. Egyptians, Africans, and so on. Russian. Listen, we can go nuts on all the other countries. We don't have it all. We are not the ones who are the authors of truth. Jesus is. And the more you connect with people from different nationalities, and you start to hear this story, you're going to learn something you could never have learned because they bring a cultural lens with them you don't have access to. And the love of God just got bigger. You meet someone else, <gasps> bigger. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's good news. All right, let's begin the sermon. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to this next week. <laughs> it's a trailer for next week. <laughs> I encourage you to go read chapter one, or one and two, whatever. You might end up going nuts and just reading the whole thing, but read through the book of Acts. There's some juicy stuff. I'm going to highlight key parts. I can't go systematically through verse by verse by verse. We'll be here for two years, and nobody likes those long series anyway. So I want to... I'm not going to say how long it's going to be because I don't have a clue. You know, it could be two weeks, four weeks, six, 12. Who knows? Um, my forgiveness series was 13 plus three more. So who knows? But this one, I think, can awaken us. It can awaken us to what Christ did in believers and how the Spirit of God moved among believers and the lessons they learned. Oh, my goodness, I'll bet you we'll have similar lessons if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Let's pray.